Well, hey, good morning, Forefront. Happy New Year. It's so good to be with you. If you guys are new, tuning in with us the first time, my name is Drew. I just want to welcome, uh, thanks for start, welcome you. Thanks for starting off 2021 with us here this morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let's grab those and open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Hey, I've got a really exciting announcement I want to share with you. Uh, this today is our last Sunday, virtual only. Hey, let's put our hands together, guys. <laughs> Our production team, our band, you guys have done an amazing job carrying us through this crazy season we're in. I want to say thank you to our Forefront family uh, just for, uh, for rolling with us through this crazy time as our state went through a really tough season from Thanksgiving to Christmas. But I, I just want to commend you. We, we did our part. You guys did your part. And the numbers in Colorado are going down and things are opening back up. And we are so excited about that. So next Sunday, January 10th, we'll be back in this space. And so I want to invite you guys back in as we come together in person again to gather together. Of course, for those of you that, that want to continue to play it safe and, and keep tuning in from home, we love that too. And so we'll continue to broadcast this every Sunday. But we can't wait to see your smiling faces back in this room again. And also, I'm really excited to, to let you know and announce that our kid, Forefront Kids ministry will be open. Uh, so I want to welcome your kids back in. We'll have our Forefront Kids team in the back, and they can't wait to, to see your kids and to welcome your kids and help point your kids back to Jesus and all that God is doing in our lives. So really excited to, to get going next Sunday, January 10th. So I can't wait to see you guys there. Well, hey, it's, I know it's been, a crazy, uh, it's been a crazy year, and I don't know about you guys, but at least for Courtney and I, we sat on Thursday night waiting for the, the clock to strike midnight and, uh, so we could wave goodbye to 2020. Anybody else wave goodbye to 2020? Just like, I want to see 2020 in the rearview mirror, and you know, we don't really know what 2021 is going to look like, but it's got to be better than 2020. There were some really good memes. I don't know if you guys saw these um, kind of last week as they were coming around and just what 2020 was. Here's a few. I just want to share a couple of my favorites with you. Any Office fans out there? Just love this. this is, we went into 2020 thinking, okay, we're going to throw a big party and look what happened, right? We ended up dumping it all on the floor. How about this one? Any Titanic fans out there, get this one, right? These big, beautiful plans. And then here we are in 2020. Any of you guys that uh, love baseball, you guys will get this one. If you don't get it, I'm going to hang it out there. I'll come ask me later. You guys will get it. But 2020 was just a crazy year. And I don't know about you guys, but when a calendar changes to the new year, for me, it's just a fresh start. This new opportunity, this, this fresh opportunity and chance to, to see improvement in my life this year. And, and every new year, I just feel this sense of excitement and this sense of energy. How many of you guys have already set goals for 2021? Any, any goal setters out there? Maybe some resolution setters? If so, give me a thumbs up or in the comments. Some of you guys, your goal for 2021 is just for it to be better than last year was, right? And so we're just thinking, man, this new year, how, how can I get better? How can I get healthy? I know a lot of us, our, our goals are, you know, I, I want to get healthy physically. I want to get healthy spiritually. I want to get healthy emotionally. I want to get healthy financially. And so we just get these big hopes and dreams for this new year. Now, I think we learned some good things last year. I think in 2020, it was hard, but we learned some things like slowing down. We learned some things like spending time with family and uh, rolling with the punches. But man, 2021's got to be better. But I think for some of us, we just have this feeling like, man, I just want to hit reset. I just want to hit the reset button on this new year and start fresh. How, how many kids out, how many out there were kids of the 80s and 90s? In here, I know we got some few kids of the 80s and 90s, 
How many of you guys remember the original Nintendo system? Anybody have the original Nintendo? I was, it was first grade, um, late 80s, first grade Christmas. My mom and dad got me the, the NES. And I don't know if you guys remember, but if you had the Nintendo in the late 80s, you were the stuff, right? Like that was, everybody wanted to come hang out at your house. And I remember we, we got that for Christmas and my sister and I, we just couldn't stop playing Duck Hunt. It was, it was good. There's so many good games. But it came with Mario Brothers. And it, we were kind of singing the Mario Brothers song earlier. You know, the Mario Brothers, if you remember, you're these, these Brooklyn uh, plumbers, Luigi and Mario, and they were in the Mushroom Kingdom, and we had to, to work our way through levels so that we could eventually save Princess Toadstool and defeat Bowser. And I was never any good at the game, and so I would find that I would get to the end of the, the level, and I would either die or I'd get stuck, and I would have to hit the reset button and start over again. Or my favorite Nintendo game of all was Tecmo Bowl. Anybody remember Tecmo Bowl? If you had Bo Jackson and the Raiders, as much as I hate the Raiders, you were unstoppable, right? And so if you were playing anybody with Bo Jackson, you'd get down 20 points and what would you do? Hit the reset button. We're gonna start over again. Now you, you may not be a gamer, but you know about the reset button. Especially depending on how old, how old your phone or your computer is. You may have to hit the reset button a lot. You know, your, your phone, your computer starts to get slow. It starts to bog down. It's not working like you know it should. So you do a little soft reset. You turn it off and you turn it back on. And voila, it seems to always work a little better. I was talking to uh, Hunter Wilson, one of our elders here, and he works in the IT field. And I was just asking, how many, uh, how many problems are, are solved by literally just hitting the reset button, by just literally turning it off, turning it on. He said at his company, about 30 to 40% of the calls that come in literally are solved by hitting the reset button. We do it all the time. But sometimes your phone or your computer, you turn it on and you, what, you see the, the circle of death or you see system failure and what do you have to do? Hard reset. And a hard reset restores the settings back to the manufacturer's settings. See, I think some of us, we came out of 2020 and we're like stuck. We're stuck in a level or we're just getting beat and we need to hit the reset button. We, we need a soft reset just to kind of get ourselves back on our feet. For some of us, things are messy. Things are hard. 2020 was brutal. We need a hard reset. We need to hit that reset button and get restored back to our manufacturer settings. And so I, I'm excited for us this morning as we kind of kick off this new series that we're going to talk about what it looks like to hit reset. Because all of us have been knocked out of our rhythms or feel stuck or feel bogged on. What we need more than anything is to hit the reset button. And when we hit reset, what we find is that we are restoring or resetting ourselves to, to be different. And that's what we want for 2021, to be different, to be the people that God has called us to be. So over the month of January, we're going to talk about what it looks like to reset on God, to reset our lives. And really the big idea of our series is that every reset in life starts with our connection with God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how do we reset our focus? And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab those. Matthew chapter 16. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16 will be in verse 24 and verse 25. Here's what Matthew has to say. Then Jesus told his disciples, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just this time for us to come back this morning and point our eyes and our hearts to you. We thank you for the opportunity to hit the reset button in 2021, uh, to take what we've learned from 2020 and, and apply it to 2021, but hit the reset button on you and see how we can live out this life that you've created us to live and that you've called us to be these people of yours for a purpose. Father, I, I know there's a lot of people in our church family, a lot of people who are tuning in this morning online that have just been walking through really tough times whether it's health or it's family or it's, it's stress, it's, it's jobs, it's finances. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to, to come into this new year with just an excitement and an energy to keep our eyes on you and to know that, Lord, there's light at the end of the tunnel and you've got good things before us. And, and so, Father, this morning, help us just to keep our feet on the solid ground of your word and to put our eyes on you. And this excitement that we have of coming back and being together starting next week. So, Father, I pray as we dive into your word, Lord, help us to, to look more like Jesus when we leave than when we tuned in. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus is saying some really interesting things. And if you grew up in the church, you've spent some time around the church, or, or you know your Bible pretty well, you've read these verses before. And I would guess, if you're like me, you, you read these verses and think, man, those are pretty intense verses. Like, Jesus is calling for a lot here, and this seems like more than just a reset. But it's interesting if you think about it. Every year, we get together and we think, what are our goals going to be for this new year? And we, we always think there's things we want to gain, right? We, we want to gain health, right? And, and we know there's some things we have to give up. So if I, if I want to start, you know, feeling better, that means I need to, to give up eating some of those foods that aren't going to be that good for me. If that means I want to get healthy again, that means that I need to, to give up something. I need to start drinking those seaweed smoothies again. Or if I want to read more books this year because I want to really uh, kind of become more intellectual or I want to really spend more time and quiet the noise, I have to give up the TV so I can start reading more books. There's, there's these things we have to give up. If I want to do better financially, I want to become more financially healthy, then I have to give up spending money on the things I spend money on. I got to get rid of some of those subscriptions. I need to change the way I spend in life, to get what you want, you always have to give up something. There's always an opportunity cost. That's what we see here in Matthew 16. That to get the life that we want, to get the life that we were created for, we actually have to give up some things. Jesus, in the book of John, chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says that I have came, I came, I've come, that they may have life, that you may have life. Jesus came to bring us life and for us to have it abundantly. Jesus came to bring us this abundant life, this bigger, better version of life than any of us are living. But to get that life, Jesus is saying that we have to, to give up some things. Go back to verse 24 of Matthew 16. Notice what he's talking about here. Notice what he's saying we have to give up. He's saying if anybody wants to come after me, then what do you need to do? You've got to deny yourself you got to take up your cross, scary, and you got to follow me. Now, you read that, and it, you think, that's a lot to give up. There's a lot of things there that I have to get rid of, but notice why Jesus tells us we have to give these things up. Verse 25, it's the hinge. Look at this. It's the key. He says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Think about that. Whoever would save his life will lose it. 
And he goes on, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's saying, we all want to find life, but when we try to find life on our own, we end up losing it. (laughs) But when you lose life for me, you end up finding it. It's kind of a paradox. This word Jesus uses for life is the word we get our phrase psyche from. It's actually um, the word we get derive, derive the word psychology from, but it, it means more than just life. It means identity. The word psyche or psyche in Greek means your identity, what makes you, you. It, it's this idea of ourself, right? Our, our self-esteem and, and, and our self-value and our self-awareness. So Jesus says, if you want to try to find your self-esteem, your self-value, your self-awareness on your own, you're never going to get it. You're always going to lose it. It's always going to be fleeting, always uh, an arm's reach further than you have it. But if you lose it for my sake, Jesus says, then you'll find it. Think for a moment about 2020. Think for a moment about your life. Think about the ways that you've been trying to find that thing that you've been seeking after, right? Think about the ways you've been trying to find your, your, your value or, or your worth or, or the way you've been trying to find your purpose. Jesus says if we try to establish those with our own strength that we will never find them, but on the contrary, if we try to find them in him, we actually get life, the life that he created us to live. So what Jesus is doing in Matthew 16 is he's calling us to give up a lot, but he's calling us to the life of discipleship or what John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, calls apprenticeship. He's calling us to become apprentices of Jesus, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to walk where Jesus walked. And as we do, we find value and worth and purpose and happiness and joy and fullness and all the beautiful biblical adjectives you could imagine. But it comes with a discipleship and apprenticeship, apprenticeship in Jesus. But to find it, Jesus says, you have to hit Reset. And so notice, let's, let's dig into this a little bit more. Notice these three areas where we have to hit reset. The three, the three things that we really need to give up. Notice the first one. Jesus says this. He says that we need to hit reset on our self-rule. Hitting reset requires losing our sense of self-rule or self-governance. Notice, Jesus says, deny yourself. Look back at verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now, I think if we're honest, we don't like those words, though. Anytime we hear the word deny ourselves, we kind of have this negative connotation associated with it, especially in the West, especially in the U.S., where we have this rugged individualism that we, that we kind of live by. And our culture says, do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. What's Cheryl Crow say? If it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. Do what makes you happy. Do what you think is best. That's kind of the mantra of our culture, but that's opposite of what Jesus is saying here. So I think you and I have this natural mentality where we think that we know what is best for us and we know the path we should go and we know the way that life is going to turn out if we go this direction. But what Jesus is calling us to here is Jesus' apprenticeship 101, denying ourselves. Earlier in this chapter in Matthew 16. Flipping back to Matthew 15, if you've got your Bibles open, you can see Jesus feeds the 4,000, and, and he um, does this amazing miracle, and then he's hanging out with his disciples, and he's teaching them to, to watch out for the teaching of the religious leaders at the time, and then Jesus and his disciples are walking around, and Jesus asks them the question. He says, who are people saying I am? Like, what, what are people saying about me? You guys are out in the crowd. 
these big crowds are coming around. What are people saying? And the disciples are saying, well, they're, they're saying all kinds of things. Some people say you're Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet who God took up. Some people are saying you're John the Baptist, who died. You're the, like the reincarnation of John the Baptist. People are saying you're all kinds of things. And Jesus stopped and he said, yeah, but who do you say I am? And they said, or P- Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And Jesus is like, Peter, on that statement, I'm going to build my church. He's like, the, you are absolutely right. There's this high, this spiritual high where the disciples are kind of starting to get it, that Jesus is the Son of God who came for them and he's leading them to this new life, this new place that he wants to take him. But just immediately after, and this is so Peter, Jesus starts to tell him, and because I'm the Christ and I'm the Messiah, I gotta go to Jerusalem and be arrested and killed. And Peter stops Jesus and he's like, hey, come here for a second. And he walks Jesus over to the side and he's like, Jesus, no way, that's not gonna happen. I won't let it happen to you. And Jesus says something really interesting to Peter. He, he looks at Peter and he says, get back from me, Satan. He calls Peter the devil. And he says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You had this spiritual high and then now the spiritual low where Jesus is actually just rebuking Peter. And then immediately following, Jesus tells them this, that if you want to follow him, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. This really interesting exchange. And you wonder, why on the heels of that did Jesus teach us this? This idea of, of reset. And I think it's because Peter and the guys, they, they had their own plan for what following Jesus was going to bring. They, they knew that following Jesus was going to lead them to a place of power and authority and riches and, and, and all of these big kind of selfish things. And, and following Jesus was great because, man, he's the son of God, but they had this idea that Jesus was going to take the throne and, and push Rome out and become the king of Israel, and they were going to have all of this great uh, power and reputation because of it. And Jesus says, look, you've got your own plans, but you've got to put your plans down if you're going to follow me. You have to literally deny yourself what you want, your self-rule, your self-governance, because I know what it takes to find the life that you were created to live. And so Jesus calls Peter out. And he tells the disciples, look, if you want to live the life that I came to bring, this abundant life, then you need to actually lay your own governance and rule of yourself down and deny yourself. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to find the life that I came to bring, you actually have to lose your life first. And that's scary. It's a pretty big commitment to make. And Jesus says the first step to doing it is this idea of, of just denying yourself just the ability to rule your own life. To, you deny yourself the ability to, to govern and, and direct your life. Jesus says, let me direct it because I know the way to life. See, deep down, I think there's a reality that we all want to be king. We all want to call the shots. We all want to make the rules. We all want to set their own direction. But let's be honest, we make pretty crummy kings. And we're pretty bad at being the king. But what happens is we want to be king. So we build a universe around us. We build our world around us with things that are going to help us prove our value and our worth and our purpose. And so we build these things around us to help us feel like we're doing okay. But Jesus says, you've got to step out of that and put me in the middle. Forefront, let me ask you, what, what have you put in the center? What are you building your universe around right now to help you feel like you are being valued? or you are worth it, or you are fulfilled. Maybe for you, it's the way you feel about yourself. It's the way you look when you see yourself in the mirror. 
It's the things that people say about you. And as long as they're saying good things and you look good and you feel good, then you feel valued. You feel worth it. Maybe for you it's something good. It's like family or it's your spouse or it's your business. Good things. But Jesus says no matter how good the thing in the center is, if it's not me, you're always going to be left wanting. You're always going to be lacking something. And so by Jesus telling us to deny ourselves, Jesus is saying, you've got to stop trying to be the king and realize that you don't have what it takes because it won't work. So look at your life and see that to be the person you actually were created to be, I have to be the king. You know, I think one of the reasons we love New Year's resolutions or setting goals for the new year is because it gives us a sense of power that we can do it. I, I just think we sit down and we think, this is the year that I'm going to get out of debt. And I'm going to be, so, I'm just so excited about it. And I have the power to do it on my own. This is the year that I'm going to, I'm going to get healthy. I know I've been saying that for five years, but this is the year. And I have the power to do it. We like that sense of control. But I think we can look back year over year and see that we just don't have the ability to do it. It just doesn't seem to work out. The reality that Jesus wants us to see is that lasting change only comes through him. That, that laugh, you might be able to do two, three, four months, actually put some really good habits in, follow Dave Ramsey and get out of debt. But unless you are allowing Jesus to really infiltrate your life and he becomes the center of who you are and your, you revolve around him, lasting change won't be yours. Lasting change is only powerful. We only have the power for lasting change if Jesus is in the center of our universe. And this is Jesus Apprenticeship 101, that we have to deny ourselves and step out of the middle, step off the throne, and put Jesus in the middle. And when we do, something beautiful happens. When we put Jesus in the center instead of ourselves, we lose the, we, we remove the pressure of having to be right all the time. When Jesus is in the middle, we remove the pressure of having to set our own direction or of having to make the right decisions or of having to be a good king because Jesus is the king. See, the abundant life that Jesus came to bring is only found in making him the center. So what is in the center for you right now that you need to get rid of, that you need to push to the side, that you need to give over to God so that Jesus can become the center of your world? So Jesus says, first, You've got to deny yourself. You've got to lose the sense of self-rule. But second, notice what he says. He says that hitting reset requires losing our sense of self-justification. That we've got to hit the reset button and, and get rid of this idea and this effort of self-justification all the time. Jesus says, take up your cross. Look back at verse 24. He says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself and take up your cross. I don't know about you, but I've got this really bad habit of trying to carry around this weight of self-justification all the time. It's just this feeling like I've got to prove that I'm here. I've got to prove that I'm worth being here. I've got to prove that I'm worth being around. I've got to prove that I'm worth being your friend. I don't know if you guys struggle with that at all, but it's just the idea of like everything around me, I'm always having to justify myself to you or to me in my mind that I, I belong. Just think about all the stuff we carry. We, we carry uh, just around the, the, these desires to, to show everybody around us that we should be here. We, we spend so much energy carrying around th this, this idea of justifying ourselves. So we want to look good so people think well of us. We want to look strong so people think they can trust us. We want to look su successful so we can appear that we belong. Even at church, we want to look the part. We want people to think that we should be here because of the way we look, the way we, that we act. I remember it was my senior year of college. 
I was getting ready to graduate, and we were starting the interview process for getting a job after college. And uh, at Mizzou, they had a big job fair. It was a career fair. They, Hearn Center, where the Tigers played, you, you walked in, and they had tables from every company you could ever imagine in that room. And I was a finance major, so Edward Jones and every big bank you could imagine was right there. So I, I knew this was going to be big for me because I was going to be able to prove that I was worth interviewing. So I went to J.C. Penney's, and I bought a brown shark tooth suit. It was really ugly. At the time, I thought it looked pretty sweet, but looking back on pictures, it was, <laughs> it was not good. And so here I am in this new shark tooth suit with a tag hanging off of it, I'm pretty sure. And I'm going around from table to table, and I'm trying to talk to these companies and prove to them that I'm worth interviewing. Hey, I'm trying to talk the lingo and, and show them how much I know and slip on my resume and all of these things. And I just left exhausted and worn out and just really kind of feeling bad about myself. Like I just laid it all out there to try to prove that I was worth interviewing. But that isn't me. Have you been there? Have you guys been in that place where it's just exhausting because you're just continually trying to prove and justify yourself? And it never gets you there. See, Jesus is saying we have to stop carrying all that stuff. We have to stop trying to carry that need to justify ourselves or prove our worth or prove our value and instead set that down and then pick up what Jesus gives us to carry, which he says is his cross. Now, in Jesus' day, the cross wasn't a cool icon that you would wear on a necklace or that Barry Bonds would wear on his earring. The cross was a symbol of shame and opposition and death. And so when Jesus told his disciples, look, you guys need to set down what you're carrying and pick up your cross, I'm sure they were thinking, what? The Roman cross? That's a death wish. But what Jesus is trying to teach us here is something profound. And here's what he's saying. Jesus is telling us that following him doesn't work until we stop trying to prove, her, to prove our self-worth. That you can't truly follow Jesus as long as you're living and extending the energy to try to prove that you belong or you are worth it or you have purpose or that you have value. Jesus says instead, we need to set that down and pick up the cross and let him prove it for us. Let his cross be the one that justifies us. Let his cross be the one that identifies us. A.W. Pink, he was a pastor in the early 1900s, and he says that taking up my cross means a life voluntarily surrendered to God. And not just admitting that God knows best, but literally taking my life and saying, Jesus, here I am. And the beautiful thing when we do this is that when we give, set our stuff down and, and pick up Jesus' cross, is Jesus is saying that my cross is actually lighter and easier to carry than your self-justification because he already carried it. Because Jesus already went to the cross and he already justified us and he already proved our worth and our value and he has already given us everything that we need and he did it all on Calvary because he loved us. So he said, stop trying to carry what you're carrying and instead, just carry what I give you. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He says this, he says, once you see the Son of God loving you like that by the cross, once you are moved by that viscerally and extensively, you begin to get a strength, an assurance, a sense of your own value and distinctiveness that is not based on what you are doing or whether somebody loves you, whether you've lost weight or how much money you've got. You're free. The old approach to identity is gone. Just let that sink in for a second. 
when we give up this need to self-justify, to justify ourselves, to prove our worth, when we give that up, we're actually free. We're actually free. Like our identity in Christ sets us free. We don't have to care what people had to say anymore. We don't have to make sure other people think well of us anymore. We literally can hit reset and turn our life over to God's plan and let Jesus do all of that for us. So what Jesus says really is to get the life you want, you have to set down all the other things we're carrying. So my friends, what are you carrying right now that you need to set down? What, what weight is on your back right now that you need to put at the feet of Jesus and pick up his cross instead and let him prove your worth and your identity? So Jesus is saying, you've got to get rid of this sense of self-rule. You've got to lose this sense of self-justification. And notice third, he says, you've got to lose your sense of self-direction. You have to lose this sense of directing your own way, of following your own path. He says, you need to follow me. Look what he says in verse 24. Look at how it all comes together. If you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I used to think that following Jesus was a lot like following your favorite sports team or following your favorite actor or your favorite band. Can I be honest with you guys for a second? I feel like this is a good place to be honest, right? Starting a new year off. Can I let you know that in 2020, I watched way too many Tom Cruise movies? like just way too many Tom Cruise movies. Kind of a little guilty pleasure, but it doesn't matter what the movie is. If Tom Cruise is in it, I'm going to watch it. If it's on TNT, even if it's Jack Reacher and Tom Cruise is in it, I'm going to watch it. And if I'm in the mood, I'm even going to go on demand and pull up a Tom Cruise movie and watch it, right? Now, I'm going to admit that to you because nobody's in the room really except the band and the worship team. So I feel like I can just go ahead and get that out of the way. So I used to think following Jesus was like that, right? You, you, you tune in on Sunday and, and kind of watch and listen and sing some songs. Maybe you're driving in the car and you hear a great song on Caleb and you turn it up and you worship for a moment. Or maybe if you feel like it, you, you read a, a devotion that week or you read an extra chapter in your Bible. and You know, kind of like following your favorite actor. Kind of like following your favorite sports team. But see, I think what Jesus is trying to get at here is he's trying to say that following him is much, much bigger than that. Because the reality is if we try to follow Jesus like we follow somebody on Instagram, or we follow our favorite team, then it's never going to work. So I've heard plenty of people say, yeah, this Jesus thing just doesn't work for me. Or, man, just Christianity just doesn't seem to do it. It just doesn't seem to give me what I need. But that's because we're just trying to insert Jesus into the regular rest of our life. We're just trying to insert him in, and we can't just insert Jesus in. We have to turn it all over to Jesus. I mean, have you ever wondered why in this verse, follow me comes last? I mean, look back at, at verse 24. Think, think about it like this. Have you ever wondered why Jesus doesn't say, follow me, deny yourself, then take up your cross? Or have you ever wondered why Jesus doesn't say, um, follow me, and then take up your cross, and then deny yourself? Why does follow me last? Doesn't it feel like it should be first? But in Jesus' genius, he put him in this order for a reason. Because unless you deny yourself and let Jesus be on the throne of your life, you can't follow Jesus. Unless you set down this need to prove yourself all the time, you can't really follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, you have to let him be the king of your life. Why? Because you will be too busy following yourself. You'll be too busy trying to follow those things that help you feel 
valued and, and worth it. Jesus says, you've got to set all that stuff down and you've got to turn your life over to me if you're even going to attempt to follow me. I love what Francis Chan says. He says this. He says, following Christ isn't something that can be done half-heartedly or on the side. It's not a label that we can display when it's useful. It must be central to everything we do and are. See, following Jesus means completely abandoning your own direction and following him. See, this, my friends, is the life of a, the apprenticeship of Jesus. Following in his footsteps, seeing how he lived his life, watching him love those that he loved, helping him to show you what it looks like to live the life he created you to live. You can never see that, feel that, experience that, understand that unless you are completely surrendered to him as the king of your life and then following him every single day. See, a lot of us need to hit the reset button like Matthew did. The very same Matthew who wrote these words that Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 had to hit the reset button. If you know the story in Luke chapter 5, we hear that, see that Jesus and his disciples are walking and they walk up to a tax booth and there's a guy sitting there named Levi. That's Matthew. Jesus changed his name. Here's Levi. He's a tax collector. And if you know much about tax collectors, they weren't very well liked. Tax collectors were people that had aligned themselves with Rome. They were rich because they had been skimming off the top and charging people more tax than Rome wanted to charge. And so they were hated by the Jewish people. They had followed their own sense of governance, their own sense of self-rule. But because they were hated, they were continually, I imagine, always trying to prove themselves, that they mattered, that they weren't bad guys, that they were, they were decent people. And that had to be exhausting. So here comes Jesus and his disciples one day, and Matthew's sitting at this tax booth, and Luke 5 tells us that Jesus walks up to Matthew. And I'm, I, I imagine if I'm a fly on the wall that everybody's thinking, okay, this is going to be good. Jesus is going to call out that tax collector or Jesus is going to talk about, you know, giving our hearts to God or something. This is going to be really good. And I imagine Matthew sitting there, his eyes get big. He's seen Jesus. He's heard of Jesus. He's, he's heard some of his teaching. Maybe he was even there when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus walks up to Matthew and Matthew's eyes get real big. And Jesus looks at Matthew and he says, Follow me. That was it. Follow me. See, at that moment, Matthew had a decision to make. Matthew, I'm sure, looked at his table. He's got his bag of money right here. He's got all of his paperwork. He, he looks back and thinks of all the things that he has, all that he would have to give up. But then he remembers how tired he is about trying to make his own way and prove himself. So what does Matthew do? Luke tells us that Matthew right there, right then. He doesn't take his money home or go to the bank real quick. He doesn't go talk to his family. Right there, Matthew gets up and leaves and follows Jesus and then has a party at his house later and invites Jesus over so Jesus can meet all the other tax collectors and Jesus can teach him what he needs to hear. And because Matthew made that decision to hit reset, we have the book of Matthew in our Bibles right now. That Jesus took Matthew and set Matthew on this, this path of life. To, he gave up everything, but he gained everything by hitting reset and following Jesus. And Jesus has used Matthew to change the world. See, for fun, as, as we close, I, I just want to let you walk away with this. If you walk away with anything else, 
It's that each of us have the opportunity right now, today, in this moment, to hit reset. Because we're tired. 2020 has been brutal. We're tired. We're, we're stuck. We, we, we need to hit reset and get a fresh start. And Jesus invites you and me today to start 2021 by hitting the reset button and letting God set us on the path for the abundant life that he created us to live. And so we're going to lose a lot. We're going to give up more than we ever thought we would have to give up. But as Jesus says, as we do that for his sake, it's then that we gain life. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Forefront, let's hit reset and let Jesus give us the life that we were created to live. Let's pray together.